In our message, the Apostle Paul encourages us to put on our investigative hats as we get to the bottom of one of the most important events in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Join us as we follow the evidence and follow the witnesses in our new message series, Resurrection Power. And this week, we will see the power of grace. Hi, my name is Dan Slofer. I'm the pastor at Crosswalk Church in Phoenix, Arizona. And I would like to welcome you to this message as we celebrate the Resurrection Sunday, uh, April 9th, 2023. Uh, this is our message for Easter. And as you listen to the message today, I am going to ask you to uh, put your investigative reporter hat on, or should I say notebook out. And what we're going to do is, I want you to think of this message like you would think of maybe a true crime show on TV. There's a couple I watch, my wife watches. One of them is The First 48, and the other one is called Cold Case. So first of all, if this was The First 48, they, they talk about in the show that in the first 48 hours after a murder, uh, an investigation is done, and that's usually when they find out who the killer is in the first 48 hours. And so if this was the first 48, what we would do is we would go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the gospel writers, and we would look at the accounts of Easter. And so it, it starts with the women going to the tomb. Um, as they're going, they don't know how they're going to roll the stone away. They get there, the stone is gone. They, they recognize also that the soldiers are gone. They've left in the middle of the night. And now as they go into the tomb, the body of Jesus is gone and an angel appears to them and, and says, he's not here, he's risen, just like he said he was going to. And, and then they go and they tell the disciples and, and all of those different things that happened within the first, it's not even 48 hours, it's in the first 12 hours after the resurrection that we have that in detail in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But that's not what our reading is for today. The, the reading we have is going to be from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I would call this, if, if it's true crime, it would be cold case. And the reason why is because this is written 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And what Paul is asking these individuals to do is really kind of to be a jury. And so we can act in that capacity too. And, and the question really that he's asking is, how do I follow the evidence to find out what happened on the Sunday after Jesus' death? And so he, he's going to explore that with them uh, to go back, look at some of the evidence, and, and see how that will affect um, how they see it. And so the first thing that, that we're going to do is we have to turn off the inner lawyer inside of us. And, and as we go to, to the jury box is the, the, whether we would say, yeah, we know Jesus is alive, or, or you would be someone that says, I don't believe that's possible, I think you need to leave that behind you when, when we do this, to be honest about following the evidence. And kind of the example that, that I would use on why that's so important, it would be like talking to someone who lived in 1900, so over 100 years ago, 120 years ago, about flight, 
of, and specifically jet flight in the world today. And so you have a 747 that weighs about 400,000 pounds, 406,000 pounds, over 200 tons. And imagine trying to talk to people who, who didn't even have motor cars yet. The Model T was until 1908. Imagine trying to explain to them how a 747 gets off the ground and how in 2021, there were over 22 million flights in the world. That would be mind-blowing to them. Or even if you were talking about cell phones or just technology in 100 years, that, that they just wouldn't believe that was even possible. And so that's what I'm asking of you, that, that even though this might be hard for you to wrap your mind around, I'm simply asking you to start with an open mind. So we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's like Paul talking to the, the people at Corinth, and, it, and he's like the uh, attorney with his opening remarks. And this is what he says. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, Otherwise, you have believed in vain. As, as Paul is saying these words, it's interesting. As an attorney, it's like he's saying to them, you already tried this case. And, and when you did, the first time I talked to you, you were convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. But evidently, maybe, maybe there's some questions about this. Maybe there are things about the resurrection you don't quite understand. And so, again, open your mind to the possibilities. And I just want to ask you just for a moment to think, what if Jesus did rise from the dead? That, that if he did, that, that he talks about this resurrection power, that, that this resurrection is something you could take your stand on. That, that if this is the case, that the resurrection of Jesus saves you. That, that if the resurrection of Jesus, if Jesus rose from the dead, this is something you can hold on to in your life. That, that when everything else is falling apart, that, that you can hold on to as certainty for your future. And so, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that, that now as we get into the evidence, again, open your minds to, to the possibility and let the evidence guide you. He goes to 1 Corinthians, again, the next three through nine, and this is, he gets to the witnesses. This is what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God." And so once again, what Paul is doing as he's talking to the Corinthians, as he's speaking to us today, and he's proving the case or arguing the case of the resurrection, where he goes is to the witnesses. And the first witness that he calls is God. 
When you look at that, he goes according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures. And, and so it's saying this is what God says in his word. And so in the strange way that, that he says, the first person I would like to call as a witness to the resurrection is, is Job. Because it's Job who wrote this thousands of years before Jesus. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I will see him and not another. How my heart yearns within me. And so, ladies and gentlemen, Job is testifying in advance to what Jesus would do. Again, the next person we call to the stand is David. The psalmist David, King David. And this is what he wrote in Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. And David's not talking about himself. David's body's still buried in Jerusalem somewhere. But he's talking about the coming Christ and he's talking about the resurrection. And so the first witness that we have is a witness that was written well before this even happened. And just to let you know, I know you accept witnesses like this. I know you do. Because if you watch these shows, imagine if, if God forbid, I was found dead and I had written a, a note and in the note had written, if anything happens to me, Phil Bischoff did it. And, and it would be like, oh, see, he knew Phil. That We give that some credibility, don't we? That if someone is concerned about someone trying to kill them, that they know that, that we take that as evidence. And so we have the evidence of the Old Testament, the Old Testament writers, and even of God himself telling what was to come. Next, we go to, uh, he, he says it's the scriptures we have, and that he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, and then to all the disciples. So we look at the, the 11 disciples, that these were individuals who were uh, saying, yeah, we saw Jesus alive. They were there on that first Easter. And now probably when, when you see those, a part of you just puts up a red flag and says, hold it, hold it. I am not so sure that these disciples are good witnesses because they had something invested in this, that, that they, you know, wanted this to, to have this myth and so that they could have this religion. Well, as we look at that, maybe the fact that they're the disciples would make them a bad witness, but the fact that they are Christian martyrs make them a good witness. And, and so that's what we see, that they are individuals who gave their lives for the gospel. That for this truth that Jesus was alive, they went to it. It cost them their lives and they were willing to go even to death. Who would do that for a lie? No one. And, and even in the midst of this, they never denied it. Never denied their faith as they went to the death. Next, we have that there were 500 witnesses uh, men and women, brothers and sisters, at the same time, 500 of them. Could you imagine if there was a crime where 500 people were there and they saw an individual do it and they said, we're willing to testify, uh, 500 witnesses? Do you think that person would be found guilty? Of course. And so with us, as we look at this, the 500 witnesses, 
And the final witnesses that he talks about are James and then Paul, himself a witness. And what makes James and Paul such compelling witnesses? They are hostile witnesses. That Paul, he was the biggest adversary of the Christian church. He went around trying to destroy it, trying to, to put these people to death, that it was a lie. And he was the biggest enemy of the Christian faith. And yet with the evidence and, and specifically seeing Christ, that he was convinced that, that Jesus was alive. You know, sometimes when we, when we look at uh, the idea of believing, do I believe that Jesus is alive, that you might think that this is like blind faith, like that's foolishness that you're asking me to believe. But I would argue that it's very similar to a jury that is listening to a case. None of those jurors, none of those jurors saw the murder. None of those jurors were there. So what they do is they open their minds, first of all, they listen to the evidence, and then they, as these witnesses come forward, they weigh it and they make a decision. And ultimately, they have to have faith. They have to have faith in, in the evidence. They have to have faith in the witnesses. And then they make their verdict. And in the same way, when we look at the resurrection of Jesus, that in some ways that we have to come to a conclusion but it, and, and, and it's through faith that God gives us. But at the same time, it's not blind faith. He, he leaves this evidence, this trail for us to follow to show that Jesus is alive. The final words of, of this reading from 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. The biggest indicator, the most compelling argument, as much as there were all these witnesses which were compelling to Paul, the ultimate proof to him was God's grace. That ultimately what changed this was Paul had lived a different way of life. And, and so he had, had lived with this, having his, his solid stand taking on his own good works. The power to save came from himself. The, the thing that he hold on to so firmly was his own goodness. And he knew that was no way to live, that Paul was saying, I can't go back there. That is such shaky ground, that, that is moving, it, it's constant, and at the worst times of my life, it abandons me. But God's grace finds me in my greatest distress. That when I am a, still a sinner and still even attacking God, that his grace comes to me so powerfully and I'm overwhelmed by his love. And that ultimately is what drives me to do what I do. It's not trying to buy off God with my behavior, but simply enjoy being loved by him. Understanding, as he says, as the scripture says, that Jesus had to go to the cross to pay for my sins and knowing that they are paid for completely and knowing as the scripture said that he would rise again as proof that, that that love that he showed on the cross was effective and that 
Easter, the resurrection is proof that Jesus is alive and my sins are paid for. The final portion of God's word that I, I chose for today is from John chapter 1. And it says, For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. I love this. We have received grace stacked up on more grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And when I when I think of this verse, to me it, it makes me think of like a Sunday bar. If you've ever gone where they, they have that, where you get the ice cream and then you get the hot fudge or the butterscotch or whatever you like to put on it, then all the Oreos, then all the other stuff that you, you pile this thing on, and that's like sweet stuff on top of sweet stuff. And then cherry on top, right? And, and this is what the Apostle John was writing about what we've received from, from God. Today I've asked you to look at the evidence. I've asked you to, to, to listen to the witnesses. But more than that, my encouragement is for you to begin to understand and receive the grace of God. Because in a, in a trial, and especially in a murder trial, one of the things that is going to be most convincing to a jury is motive. And understanding God's motive is essential. Jesus rose from the dead to give you grace upon grace. God's motive was love. God's motive was so that every one of us could be with him through the payment that Jesus made, not only in this life, but also for an eternity. John also wrote, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing may have life in his name. That's the ultimate grace that God gives you in the resurrection, is eternal life and life with him forever. Hear this clearly. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. The, this is, is the grace of God, letting you know that on this day, which is the, you know, the holiest of all days, the, the one that we have reason to celebrate more than any other, that Jesus is alive and that through his life, he gives you life as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have defeated death. We thank you that you have defeated uh, hell and Satan. And Lord, more than that, we thank you for the power of your grace, that you show love to us and you give us the victory that was won by Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, continue to help us to take our stand on this, to see that it has the power to save, and, and Lord, at, at times in our life when, when things are difficult, help us to hold on to you and your promises because they are so firm. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.